HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Visit wholefoodsmarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more and find the store nearest to you. My name is Hannah Forden. I'm the membership coordinator at Heritage Radio Network, but even before I joined the team, I loved listening to HRN during my subway commute. It made the time go quickly and left me feeling inspired for the day ahead. HRN listeners tune in from all over the world, but there are a few traits that we all have in common, no matter where we listen from. A curious palate, the fierceness to make a difference, and a hunger for lifelong learning about the culinary world. As you know, Heritage Radio Network is a listener-supported nonprofit. To deliver the most ambitious, entertaining, and of-the-moment stories in 2018, we need your help. We need to raise $150,000 by December 31st to accomplish these goals and to keep your favorite shows on the air. Together, we can make this HRN's most exciting, impactful, and delicious year yet. Become a member by donating today. Join us at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate, and you'll immediately start enjoying benefits such as VIP invitations to HRN events, where you will mix and mingle with your favorite hosts. Memberships also make a perfect holiday gift for all the foodies in your life. This year, why not give the gift of food radio? You'll hear your generosity in action for the year to come. Help keep our lights on and our mics hot by pledging your support today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for listening. 2017, the good, the bad, and the app on this episode of Tech Bytes. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 65 countries around the world, about a million strong a month. Thank you for joining us today. This is Tech Bites, the weekly show where we talk to influencers and innovators in the food tech space. And this is one of my favorite shows of the year. It is the penultimate show for 2017. And penultimate means second to last. It's a, great mis- it's a great misconception. People think it means the last one. Penultimate is the one before the last one. 
So what we do on Tech Bytes for the penultimate show of the year is we take a look at the year in review. And to do that, we've brought back some of our favorite guests from 2017. We started 2017 off with our first show on January 12th, and that was show number 83. We actually did 38 brand new episodes this year. Congrats. Woo. <laughs> That's a lot of live radio. We started off with David Sachs, who's the author of The Revenge of Analog, which is an interesting digital versus analog book. And uh, we will end the season, the year, next year with episode 122, which if you want to hear what 2018 is going to be all about, you want to tune in for our episode of Predictions and Trends with Mitchell Davis, Vice President of the James Beard Foundation, one of the best home cooks in the world and chair of the Pellegrino 50 Best Restaurants. So he covers a lot of ground, so we'll be able to cover a lot of ground. Joining us today, we have uh, three really great guests. We have Xavier Marias Carena, who is one of the co-founders of Shoebox. Hello. He's a fun favorite voice. He's been on Tech Bytes a few times, back starting back on episode 24, when we first met you and your partner, Tony, who couldn't be here today. It's 100 episodes almost. Yeah. Since so, then. yep, you were episode 24, which we first met you guys. The interesting thing about Shoebox is they are a uh, uh, software digital platform for your inventory, so back of the house. And they are one of the very, very few restaurant tech companies actually uh, started and owned by people who have worked in restaurants. There aren't very many of them. Across the bear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were also on episode 70, where we checked in on them again. What's up, Shoebox? Mm -hmm. And then they were on earlier this year on episode 94, giving everyone some free tax advice, because they're all about managing your receipts. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> By the way, Dave signed up for Shoebox. Did he and has really? Been using, yeah. Good for you. Then. Fantastic. Yeah. So thanks for that. We'll throw you a little check yeah, in the mail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you guys are Heritage Radio Network business members, aren't you? Yes, we are. So I will take I'll I'll take that. That's All right, great. Cool. We we appreciate we'll help your support. Yeah. Absolutely. So he's he's a lot of fun. He always um has good apps. You know, a funny thing also is on I believe one of the first times you were on the show you had two apps. You had Shazam. Yes. And you had Duolingo. Yes. And I had a show this year where it was Shazam and Duolingo. Really? Yeah. It was kind of funny. And I <laughs> thought back to that in my mind. I think it was the episode um, St. John's Bread and Life. Okay, cool. With Tony Butler. I think he was Duolingo because he was getting ready to go on a trip to Portugal. Nice. Yeah, so it's interesting how the app segment is cyclical. Also joining us, we have Deepti Sharma. Who is, co who is CEO and founder of Futi.com, which is a really interesting um, platform for restaurants to connect with businesses and corporations to do sort of enterprise catering and, and food service projects. She was on episode 99 this year, Women in Food Tech CEOs, which was a lot of fun. Yes. I think we have to do that again in 2018, make Absolutely. the Women CEOs Summit. An yeah. annual thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. We rule the world, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yep. Cover Time Magazine and everything. Sitting next to her is Bradley Scott, who is co-founder of a restaurant recommendation app called Etch, E-T-C-H. We have a lot of interesting spellings in the show today. Um, he came on episode 109, which was all about restaurant recommendation apps. Yes, indeed. 
So welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for coming. And then in the back, the man who runs the sound effects, we have David Tadashore, our engineer and the HRN studio manager, who's been on most of the shows. That's me. I have more apps than anybody. That's true. <laughs> Except you, I guess. <laughs> no one has more apps than me. Um, so, Dave, what do you think the broad strokes were for 2017 from your vantage point in Mission Control back there? Um, I guess a lot of productivity apps that seems to be what most people come here with, which isn't surprising because a lot of your guests are, you know, running their own businesses or, or you know, just really need to stay on top of that kind of stuff for whatever reason. So that's what I've seen the most of, I think. I think that, and then I would get, I would hazard a guess to say that, and I haven't gone back and tabulate them, and that might be something that I do for 2018. Instagram was, I think, one of the most popular apps that people talked about, especially oh, yeah. people who were in the um, media marketing space. People just loved Instagrams, and with the addition of stories, I, I, it almost seems like Instagram stories was the Snapchat killer. Yeah, I haven't heard much about Snapchat lately. Mm-hmm. Well, they're revamping their app, apparently. Are they? Yeah, they're doing the entire thing over, and it's like really? being done in like a few weeks or like a month or two or something yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Well, maybe all the Snapchat kids just aged out, and now they're on Instagram. Yeah, I, I, I for some reason, feel like my age group, 34, yeah. I feel like everybody, there's a stigma to having Snapchat, so I just... Well, Insta Don't Stories it anyway. does it, right? It does exactly what you need. Exactly. And it, it brings your entire life in one place, right? It's like a, if I want someone true. following me and my lifestyle or my exactly. company, it's all there. I can share, you know, what is happening in the now in real time. And I can share what happened yesterday or the day before and keep a story going. Exactly. Um, so Snapchat's irrelevant for someone like myself. Yeah. So yeah. what is your, what was your all-time favorite app for 2017, Deep G? My all-time favorite app, so I feel like that's a lot of pressure. For this year. For this year. For this year. Not for the past 10 years, if you were an early adapter. Um, I would say, I guess, Instagram has become that, and not to kind of jump on what you just said, um, because I was, you know, my husband and I, like, try to kind of talk about all the te- pieces of technology we're using, and he, um, we bought the spectacles. We were one of those. He really wanted them, and he wanted to try them out. Um, and so I used Snapchat a bunch, um, and it, the spectacles were great because we were on the dance floor and we both dance a lot. Um, and it was really cool to have that perspective of like, you know, dancing around at a wedding and people just going crazy and capturing those moments. Um, but then, like I said, like I don't have as many followers right on Snapchat. And for me, it's, if I'm trying to build, um, a rapport or a narrative about myself and my company, I want to do it in one place. And so Instagram for me has been that. And I've actually been focusing a lot of more, a lot more time than I have been on my Twitter, um, just because the world is becoming more visual, right? Um, you know, if you look at how the iPhone has transformed, the newest iPhone has so many more features that, I mean, I know Androids have always had, um, but but Instagram has now become that like place for me to kind of talk about myself in a visual way um, and in a way that people are more interested in, right? People are tired of reading. People want to see things more. And then if they're interested in the image, they read more about the story behind that image. Um, so for me, Instagram has been my 2017 app. It's probably the one that I use ap- the absolute most. Um, and it's great because you see celebrities actually kind of being vulnerable on it as well. You see them just showing what they do on a day-to-day basis and you know they seem even more human which is nice well speaking of celebrities and instagram instagram did a great 2017 recap it's on their website and it has the top 10 
top 10 most followed, top 10 most liked, top 10 hashtags, all those kinds of things. And the number one most liked post of 2017 was the Beyonce pregnancy post, which got over 11, (laughs) more than 11 million likes. Wow. Amazing. And I mean, interestingly or not, the top 10 of most liked posts, top followed, most liked videos and all that, it's basically Beyonce, Cristiano Ronaldo, Selena Gomez, Kim Kardashian. Well, it's interesting because if you look at Twitter did the same thing with uh, you know, their year interview, and I think most of the, the most liked tweets or the most retweeted tweets were all politically oriented. The first one was the chicken McNugget, the that, chicken yeah, nugget the, video, yeah, exactly. and then I think the most liked was Obama's yep. tweet. Yep, and then... Uh, I think LeBron James's tweet was mm-hmm. up there when he when he called Trump a bum. Which was <laughs> Maybe it's a difference between the audience or the users. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's um, very Twitter political. is still very much uh, journalists, writers, media, media, and also a little more international in terms of its reach and people using it to communicate information out sometimes from mm-hmm. places. And Facebook is still trying to make that push with Instagram to try. You know, I notice that a lot of the people that it keeps asking me to invite from Facebook are my family and friends that are living abroad Um, and and, and mostly in Asia right now. So you see Twitter has grown tremendously in Asia, uh, but Instagram is still kind of like slowly growing from, and that this is just not from any reports, just from what I see within my circle. Anecdotally. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So Bradley, what was your best app for 2017? And you are not allowed to say the app (laughs) that you own and work on. Fair enough. I will, I will (laughs) refrain from that just quickly. You brought up Snapchat spectacles. I run when I see someone wearing those just out on the street. <laughs> I don't walk around with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just funny. It's like a weird psychological thing where if someone's pointing a phone at you, you're, you know, okay, I guess that person's taking a picture, but not knowing if someone could be recording what you're doing at the same time, it's very, it's very creepy. Um, all right, so my app. Um, it's coming, though. It's it, the oh, world it's we live I mean, in. <laughs> you know, video surveillance, cameras it's everywhere. It's going to be a contact lens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it probably already is. Yeah. Yeah. Just not on Amazon available. No, yet. Not that we're aware of yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my app right now is actually the Skim app, um, and the reason for that is the reading app. The reading sort app. of like yeah, Cliff yeah. Notes for the technology age. Yeah. So they started. They started as a newsletter. They're still a newsletter, and they just sort of distill you know big topics down into sort of entertaining little snippets, and you can read more about them. But it's sort of you know it's like Cliff Notes for yesterday's news. Um, and I found that lately it's been very helpful for me to get these little snippets because I find that, you know, when you work on a startup, you're often very much removed from the real world. And I think now is a more important time than ever to be connected to what's happening in the real world. Um, so it's a great way to just sort of get a snapshot, snapshot of what's going on. If there's something that's interesting, I can go and do some more research. Um, and then they also have this really cool calendar plugin where you can connect it to your Google Calendar or your Outlook Calendar, and it'll actually put, um, you know, big events or announcements on your calendar. So you can sort of click on the event and you can read about, you know, uh, though there's an election coming. Or, or the State or of the Union or something. State of the Union's coming, or the Olympic Committee's about to make their Russia decision today. So I think... New York Fashion Week. Exactly. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> so it's a cool way to, to kind of integrate some of these reminders. And, like, I'm in my calendar all day. Uh, I'm not necessarily following the news all day, so it's kind of a nice way to to stay up to date so that when someone brings up a current event at a dinner or something, I don't feel like a complete 
idiot when I have no idea what they're talking about. Well, people are so overwhelmed by the news. And um, when you look at the Facebook year in review, it's very much not a great year. You know, all the stuff that happened and, you know, people coming together and then it's protest. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that you can always say, though, if you don't know, is that many people, myself included, cycle through needing to turn off the news because it's just so much every day. And it also changes very quickly because a lot of it's digital and on Twitter and happening. You could go through 72 news cycles in a day on a single subject and by the end of the week have it be almost irrelevant and have moved on to four other things. So if you miss a week or a few days, it's sort of okay. And if you don't know what's happening, if you were at that cocktail party or dinner party and you said, well, you know, I go through these phases where I don't pay attention to the news. And, you know, I miss that this week. I'm listening to a podcast on food tech. It's good to unplug. Yes, yes. And everybody would would herald that and say, perhaps even confess that they need to do that Mm -hmm. more and they're not very good at it. Yeah. I'm in a perpetual state of avoiding what's happening in the news. It's hard to, but if you really want to, you can. Oh, you can. You can and it's almost beneficial do it. to do that sometimes. I just feel like some of these stories sometimes are just so manipulated and manufactured Completely. that Completely. I, I, can't even, I can't even give them my and time. And you want to yell at the TV, don't pay attention to that. That's just a distraction. It's <laughs> just to distract right. you away from this. Or like for me, like the Korea thing. I mean, it's just a way to sell advertising. I'm sure the Olympic Committee is like, how do we get more McDonald's ads going? So, <laughs> you know, seriously, that's what I think because... It's ridiculous. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> that's a diff- that's a different show. That is a different show. <laughs> we need we need more time for more shows. That's for sure. So, Davia, what's your so, favorite app for 2017? Um, I've become because uh, so business has been going pretty well, and I'm finally starting to get out of debt. So I've uh, <laughs> I've started that's nice. habitually you have Venmo. Check so like you have Venmo now or credit, something? It's or? credit karma. So like every week. <laughs> I'll, I'll check credit karma to see, oh, look, my credit score got better. So um, that's been, uh, it's kind of like, like gamifying. It's fitness. Yeah, It's totally. checking your fiscal fitness. Yes. Lord knows I haven't worked on the other side of my fitness. So, um, yeah, it's been really good because uh, it kind of keeps me engaged with what's going on with my bills and all that stuff. But um, I think it's a really cool app and it's a great way to um, motivate yourself to stay focused on your goals. Okay. Financial ones. Financial goals. Interesting. Financial fitness. Very good. Yeah. Well, a lot has happened this year. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and then come back and talk with everyone. And the reason we've had a lot of great guests over the course of 2017, but I put together this uh, group of people because the, the point of intersection that they all have in common is they all work with restaurants. Now work with restaurants within the restaurant community and, you know, we have such a strong uh, industry listenership at Heritage, and most people who listen to Heritage are interested in food. And most of us get food at restaurants, and um, there's been a lot happening in the restaurant industry this year. So I thought it would be nice to have people come together who are participating in the industry from different points of view and talking about what their experiences have been, what trends they saw. And maybe, you know, I can talk a little bit about what you think was coming in 2018. So stay with us. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to listen to who our amazing sponsors are, who are helping Heritage Radio keep the lights on and the mics hot. Stay with us.
Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Whole Foods Market believes in seeking out local, fresh, and seasonal food and in supporting local farmers, makers, and the community as a whole, economically and agriculturally. Whole Foods Market believes in food that is vivid and colorful, fresh and full of nutrients. Food that connects you to your body, the seasons, and to nature. Food that helps you do more, sleep better, and wake up happier. Found in over 400 locations throughout the United States, Whole Foods Market only sells food that meets their standards, which means no artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, or sweeteners, ever. Whole Foods Market believes in real food. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more. Well, if you've just joined us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today we have the penultimate show of 2017. We are taking a look back at the year that is about to come to a close. And to help us take a look at what's been going on in the restaurant world and the food tech world, we have three guests who are familiar voices to regular listeners. We have Xavier Maricarena, who's co-founder of Shoebox. Shoebox is a very interesting uh, piece of technology and software for inventory and point of purchase for restaurants. If you want to find out more about them, you can go to shoebox.com, and that's shoe, not like on your feet, size 35 and a half, 36 if it's a Louboutin. <laughs> It's shoe, C-H-O-U-X, the French word for cabbage. Shoebox.com. You can follow them on social media, at underscore shoebox. If you want to hear more from them, they did a great episode, 94, which was free tax advice. And we first met them on episode 24 and then had a little kind of check-in on episode 70. They're a lot of fun. Um, his partner, Tony, could not join us today, but um, they're a good sort of one-two punch. Also joining us, we have Deepti Sharma, who's the founder and the CEO of Food to Eat. Um, it's a wonderful uh, connection platform with between restaurants and businesses to do sort of enterprise catering and, and events and things like that. You can find them at foodtoeat.com or on social media at food to eat. And then lastly, we have Bradley Scott, who's co-founder of a restaurant recommendation app, Etch. E-T-C-H-A-P-P.com, etchapp.com. You can follow them on Twitter at GetEtch and on Instagram at Etch, E-T-C-H. And you can download the app for free on iTunes. If you want to hear more about that app and restaurant recommendation apps, you can check out episode 109. Woo! So, 2017... What what was one of the things that you know you saw that you maybe anticipated? What did you see that was a big surprise coming out of the year that you didn't see coming? Um, we hear so many distressing things about the restaurant industry, you know, in terms of you know money and finances and rents and and you know the rising minimum wage, which is great for people but a challenge for businesses. What what did you all see out there? Well, I was actually going to bring up the state and federal regulations that have been coming about and putting a lot of pressure um, on performance for restaurants with, you know, minimum wage going up. Every single one of our restaurants has reached out and 
um, has been talking about it and how it's been affecting them because retention is already so hard within the restaurant industry. Um, people are constantly going where they can make that extra buck, right? They're not staying. There's not as much loyalty. And so what happens is with labor, you know, labor wages going up, it's, it's putting a pressure on their bottom line and go ahead. So when you say performance, you mean the financial performance of right. a restaurant. Right. And when you say retention, you're talking about the restaurant's ability to retain great staff or retain customers? Well, both, right? Mm -hmm. Retaining on both ends isn't easy. Retaining great staff and creating a culture that they're appreciative of. I mean, there's better, like I said, I mean, most of the time people are going for wherever they can make the best dollar, right? And a lot of times there's not as much loyalty when it comes to delivery staff or wait staff for them. It's, it's all about who's going to pay me more. Um, a lot of times there are kids that are in college that are doing this as part-time jobs. So for them, it's whatever's going to help me pay my bills and get me out of the debt that I'm currently dealing with. So um, for restaurants, we've seen a lot of that pressure coming on from um, these regulations that are affecting them. And, you know, as much as it is an amazing thing for um, employee rights, it's hard for them because at the end of the day, when they look at their um, their profits, they're not making as much as they used to. And so you hear every restaurant, I mean, from the, the few hundred that we work with, I've heard from every single one of them, whenever they see a new person trying to open a restaurant, don't do it. And, and, and then rent's not getting cheaper, right? No, so everything's going up. There's definitely a, there is a, a reckoning tipping point you know, line in the sand, whatever, you know, analogy you want to use to describe it coming for the restaurant industry that mm -hmm. we're in, we're in the beginning stages of it now and have been for a few years, but it's everything is going to have to equalize mm -hmm. our, uh, all the different elements between rent, wages, food costs, business, they all have to equalize themselves and coming out the other end it'll probably be okay. You know, it'll be great for people who are making a fair living wage working in restaurants. Maybe landlords will get a little more, uh, less, you know, a little more generous and, and it'll become the norm and consumers will be used to paying a new price point for their experiences. But I think getting from here to there is going to be really difficult. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, the education, so it, what's interesting is consumers are more aware of their diets now. They're more aware of these allergens and everything. They want everything customized and very specific to their liking now. Um, and that's great because people are educating themselves on what's going into their bodies, which is good for us on a health and wellness perspective. But what, what a lot, and I see this, you know, we work with a lot of corporations that want to um, you know, instill healthy eating within their offices. So they don't want to have mac and cheese for, for lunch. They want to have something that's a little bit more balanced, which is roasted vegetables, maybe some grilled chicken. And, but what they forget is mac and cheese is cheaper than the other things, right? So that cost and educating our, our corporates that we work with that are our clients that are buying from these, you know, vendors, we have to educate them on the cost that comes with wanting to eat certain items versus others. And so I think that's just, um, that's a part of our job as a third party service for restaurants and for restaurants to also, you know, educate their consumers. Like if you want these ingredients, if you want us to be able to provide you a customized this menu, this is the cost of that. This is the cost of that. And we're, we don't have to be sorry about it. You just have to understand that this is what it costs to run our business and to create the food that you want. So people are understanding the physical and philosophical and environmental benefits of eating great, but they haven't quite crossed the line into understanding the actual production and manufacturing and agricultural costs, which you um, at Shoebox see all the time, that end of things. Sure, yeah. 
I mean, it's uh, we always talk about avocados, right? Those are like the uh, <laughs> avocado <laughs> the barometer, yeah, the barometer, exactly. the canary in the coal mine. The yeah, I mean, I think um, labor has, like you said, especially in the uh, agriculture industry, there's huge impacts all across the board. And this is kind of um, an interesting uh, topic for me because there's a paradigm to it. I've worked next to incredible, you know, immigrant workers and even just you know local people that um, just bust their ass and do everything they can to provide for their family and, and many of them are super passionate and um, I've always thought to myself, man, it would be great if we could pay them more and, and you know really help invest in their long term. Or at know. least pay them the minimum that you need to actually live. Right. Which is <laughs> obviously not job. 10 bucks an hour or whatever no. it is. Yeah. But on the other hand, you know, it's it's that's a it's going to be a lot of education to the the end user and guest and customer um, to try and explain why grilled cheese costs fourteen dollars. Um, because I'll tell you right now, I mean, I'm in a situation many times where I'm like, wow, this is really expensive. Like I I realize things are already starting to creep up, like eighteen dollars Caesar salads and things like that. And I get it. I mean, when you want quality, you'll pay for it. Um, but. I do think there's a reckoning of a sorts yes. on the horizon. There, there has is. to be. But there, there, al- there also has to be this level of respect for different kinds of labor workers, right? I think what also happens is, um, I see this happen a lot. We've gone into situations where I'm the delivery person. Sure. And I've just been looked at as, oh, she's just a delivery person. But you know nothing about me. What you don't realize is this job takes a lot more than just showing up with your food. For sure. Um, and so why I deserve to get paid more should also be understood, right? I think a lot of times people forget that as well, that like picking your vegetables and, you know, standing out in the sun for X amount of hours, that's time, that's it, and understanding what I'm doing as a part of this job and the machinery that I have to use, people often forget and don't think that others deserve to get paid because it's a low skill well, level job. The interesting thing is that coming from other, coming from other industries may help equalize that. And one great example is Uber, Mm-hmm. Uber, Lyft, all the car services. All of a sudden, people have a very different perception of how much money a driver makes. And delivery is very close to being a driver. Mm-hmm. Um, people have no problem paying drivers more money when there's greater demand and greater traffic and, and all these different circumstances. So right. as people become more used to or okay with paying more for, you know, a person to deliver them to their venue or their dinner, then maybe that'll start to yeah, and, and ban out. And Uber is delivery now, it, right? They so are, like yes. That, I mean, that for me, I think that's the biggest thing that's changed in 2017, which is just how much more accessible restaurants have now become everything. to anyone. And accessibility for everything. But you can, I mean, you can order food from a three Michelin star restaurant and caviar can deliver which, it. Which one? <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> exactly, but you but you can. They, they still pour your sauce table aside when they come to the house. Is Daniel <laughs> Daniel Hum's going to get in the car and come over to my apartment? <laughs> and a, 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 delivery, a delivery, a delivery well, which is which is crazy. Maybe search, not three stars, pricing. maybe two stars. But um, we'll have but, to take a look though if there's a three star Michelin place you can get delivered on one but, of the services. I'm making a note. N- yeah, we should check it out. But I think the the fact that food is now so much more accessible through delivery apps through through services like Blue Apron. I think people are starting to value high-quality food at home more. And I think, the, at least from what I've seen, 
it's more and more important for the restaurant to make that in-restaurant experience much more memorable and much Mm -hmm. more enjoyable. So if, you know, I see, you know, the comments that my friends leave on, you know, within our app, and I see that, you know, most of the commentary is around the experience or the ambiance or the service they received. Um, You know, I think the quality of food oftentimes is, especially in New York, is sort of table stakes. Um, If if your food quality is crap, often, you know, you're not going to make it regardless. But even then, you can have restaurants with incredible food quality, and one just doesn't have a great ambience, or they sort of miss the boat, or they're not, you know, marketing or targeting the right demographics, um, and the in-restaurant experience isn't great, or maybe they can't retain, you know, high-quality staff to, to make that experience great, and people sort of write off the write off the restaurant or write off the experience. You know, I think what's interesting is, I think obviously we're all very engaged in the food culture. <laughs> I, I, we care, right? And I'd be willing to pay extra for things, and I totally understand the uh, just kind of everything that goes into making great food. But I think a vast majority of our population, and it's not a slight, it just is what it is, are very price conscious. And I mean, I have friends that you know yell at me for having a development office in the Philippines. Then they turn around and say, "Let's go to Walmart and buy some stuff." And it was made in China. And it's made in China, and mm-hmm. it's like. There, there is there's this, a disconnect. There's a big disconnect. There's a huge, yeah. And um, and I, I don't know. I mean, um, I look forward to seeing what happens with this whole kind of wave that's going to start to crash at some point. Uh, it's building out there. It's big it's building time out there building. right it's now. If this were a disaster time. movie, the hero scientist meteorologist person <laughs> would be running around Washington frantically trying to get meetings with people. You're absolutely Showing right. them some satellite photo of a big bump in the middle of the Pacific saying, this is going to kill New York City. Right. And nobody's right. listening to that person right. right now. Right. Yeah. Well, we did a great episode uh, a few years back called Are Delivery Services Bad for Restaurants? Mm-hmm. And it was about Seamless. And... It's a perfect example of a disconnect where I had two independent restaurant owners, New York City, single unit, small, small operators. They came on. They spoke anonymously because of some of the non-com language in the seamless contracts. But in essence, we talked about how seamless takes a percentage off the top for restaurants to be a part of the service, anywhere from 125 to 30%. And you have to pay additionally if you want to be on the top pages or the sure. listings, you know, to be promoted. At the time we did the show, which I think was 2015, um, there were over 6,000 restaurants in the New York City area on Seamless. So if you want to be on page one or pages one to, you know, ten, right. you have to pay up for that. So it was so popular and so easy, and the culture, as you said, Bradley, of everybody sort of getting instant access to everything, you know, via their phone mostly. There was one restaurant where... People, the majority of their customers were ordering, they were in like a three block radius. And some of them were like in the building and like right around and literally like 500 yards from the kitchen. Yeah. And people would order through Seamless for delivery. Yeah. And it was killing his business. And there's a very poignant moment where I said to him, so what's the percentage that Seamless takes? Because Seamless makes the restaurants pay to be on the service. Mm-hmm. The customer doesn't pay mm-hmm. for it. 
He said 12 and a half to, to 25%. I said, what's your profit margin? He said about 20%. I said, so how do you make money? And he says, you don't. Yeah. Right. I said, so why do you do it? And he said, because 80%, making 80% is better than making nothing. And he felt so obligated to be on Seamless because of what consumers demand that he was doing it to the detriment of his business. And if people had... Even if they still wanted delivery, if they had just called the restaurant and ordered directly or ordered through the restaurant's website, he would have made more money. Mm-hmm. Sure. But all the people, a majority of the people who are talking about... They're sadomasochists. Think, think, no, think locally, you know, act yeah. locally, think globally, like put money into your community, the farmer, the artisans, this. Sure. The people who are the most vocal about those kinds of things don't understand often that when they're sitting on their couch ordering from Seamless... Because it's about convenience. They're taking money out of their community. They're sending it to Seamless HR, and they're actually, you know, which is, you know, their corporate office, and they're actually doing something detrimental. And at the end of that show, there were people who were listening, you know, sitting out in the green room area and everything, and more than one of them said to me, I am deleting Seamless from my phone. But I they probably no went idea. back on it. They probably went back probably on did. it. Probably did. I Not first that Seamless is, is an evil empire. I mean, maybe no. a little bit. but It can be. It, it can be. But the, the thing that you're talking about in terms of people connecting the dots yeah. to not just the actuality of how the transaction works, but connecting the dots between what they verbalize as being their beliefs and right. things that are important to them. Right following that through to their actions that perhaps go beyond a hashtag. But it's also caring, right? So just to quickly, yeah, right? people don't... I mean, hashtags are great, but, you know. <laughs> no, they, don't, yeah. they don't go so far unless they're actually, if you're doing something about it. So right. I've never ordered on Seamless, ever. I've ordered once, and I canceled the order, and it was just me testing it out. Futi started with the premise of wanting to be the Robin Hood of the online ordering world and help um, the restaurant industry by charging lower rates and finding other ways to... Sh- increase our revenue and we pivoted because we noticed we had great press we had so much great press about how seamless had all these ridiculous charges but at the end of the day people didn't care people the same thing with uber it's it's the same thing with uber because there have been if you think about uber and all the things that they do um and as you know they don't pay the drivers as much as you know a driver doesn't get paid really well unless they're working 100 hour weeks which is crazy you know, they're not getting paid of like a well livable wage unless they work those ridiculous hours and, and all the things that go into cost. People care more about themselves and their convenience. At the end of the day, people are smart enough to make the connection. I'm sure the people and friends that you're interacting with know that the stuff that they're buying at Walmart is not all made in America. They're not. Oh, for sure. You know, so it's all for about sure. what it's they the- want to actually see versus what, you know, so it's just ignoring and, and just kind of moving past it and just not even thinking about it. Pe- people... There's been enough articles written about how Seamless does charge up to 30% and how every how do people think these things work? You know, it's it's about educating yourself and looking deeper into it. People just don't care and it's all about what works for them today. And you know, I I was at an event where um it's it's all about what you want to think about for the future and how it affects you today. If it doesn't affect you, I don't care enough to make that change. And so that's what people do. And so we pivoted because we wanted you know, we were on a, a consumer app, but we pivoted because we're, we wanted to help the bottom line, you know, of the restaurants. And so catering is the holy grail. And that's why we switched and pivoted into that sector and, and are now able to make a deeper impact. But um, it was hard for us. It was hard for us to get people to care. And 
out of the hundreds of people I talked, I think I was, I think I was able to convince, actually convince 10 people out of like four or 500 people sure. that actually stopped using Seamless. So just to, just to play, you know, a little bit of devil's advocate and maybe it's more of a question. So I'd be really interested to know if there are examples of restaurants that have been able to turn Seamless into more yes, in-store business are. for them. Oh, yeah. Well, and, we're not I, necessarily in-store business, but you do have a number of businesses. Because I did research both sides of the story, thinking mm-hmm. about maybe I'll do one and then the other. Um, there are some businesses that have that do extremely well with Seamless, and they're primarily built to be yeah. catering or delivery businesses. Mm-hmm. So many of them are the... In, in Manhattan and New York City, it would be the midtown lunch spot that's mm-hmm. built to Just do, do fast orders, do orders to go. And because Seamless actually started as a corporate enterprise product where they made their greatest inroads by creating corporate accounts with companies so that then employees mm-hmm. could just order and it was an easy accounting system. Got it. <laughs> They're, they're built to do that. So they're built to just like push out, you know, hundreds of delivery salads or whatever lunch boxes. You know, right, and, and, and then I mean, they do very, very well. Yeah, and I, I'm admittedly a seamless user, but I, I will say that being someone who's used it locally in my neighborhood, because I'm sometimes really lazy and I don't want to leave my apartment on a Sunday afternoon, um, I've discovered new places locally that I now go to more frequently. But for, if you're going to them more frequently on Seamless, you might be costing them. No, 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 like actually going to them. Oh, going to them yeah, physically. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's physically. great. Yeah, because I, did, I didn't know they were there before. Uh, maybe they were on a you know two streets down a street that I never walked down, but now I know it's a great easy way that I can pick up dinner on my way home from work. And why should I wait forty five minutes for a seamless delivery when I can just exactly. grab it and go? So I think I, I agree with you. I think on the whole, there's there's a lot of negative aspects and there's a lot of ways that you know thirty percent is egregious. Um, but you know I think it's important because these these types of services aren't going away. No, they're no. not. So I think it's important that There's restaurants... There's no going back. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. important that restaurants unless it, figure unless out... Unless that diehard five or whatever it is happens where it's the fire sale where they go on and crash <laughs> the uh, national, global, you know, digital internet financial banking structure right, and we all exactly. start from zero. Well, let me, but it's, let I was me. just gonna, it's important that restaurants learn how to adapt to these types of things and what, whether it's, you know inserts in the bags that are offering in-store, you know, incentives to come in-store. I, I think their restaurants need to find a way to, to use these and, and use Seamless as a, as a tool. Yeah. That's a great point, mm-hmm. by the way, because I have, I'm a user of all these apps. I use Uber Eats. I use Caviar. I use all of them. And if the restaurants aren't making money on it, it's not my fault. It's their fault. They should not be on the platform. I'm sorry. I don't feel bad for them. Interesting, it's there tough them. love point of view. Yeah. yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, Be smart. Nobody feels bad for me if I have a bad month. You know what I mean? And restaurants, how many restaurants have I worked with that never paid their bill? You know what I mean? And how many vendors have gotten screwed? I mean, they have to make an educated choice to say, is this a marketing Say no expense? to Seamless. Say no. Say no right. if you don't want to use it. But to your point, I've gotten Chinese food or something from a local restaurant. They drop it off and they put a little coupon that says... Call us directly and you'll get a free whatever. Yes. And guess what? I'll do it. Yes. I'll do it. You have to just learn to game the system a little bit. And and it's again educating. And so that that became part of our routine was educating yeah. our restaurant owners to be smarter about what they do and how they do it. Right? For you can't sure. just always blame every one of these services and say yeah. they're taking all my money. Um, 
increase your prices, do something about your delivery charges. And so it's, you also have to understand a lot of these restaurant owners aren't, um, and we saw this because I interviewed a ton of them when I first started the business. They don't come from a business background. They don't understand sure. how to operate their accounting. and, and They just and, want to make really great pizza. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They just know how to make really good food, and they hope that that can pay their bills. And so at the end of the day is just giving them the education as we're creating apps and, and organizations and platforms, educate them about how and why our pricing structure is the way it is and how we're trying to help you and what you can do yourself to advertise, right? If you want your business to grow, here are tools and pieces of technology you can use. I mean, we did that for food cards when we first started and they didn't realize they could use their phone to deposit their checks and they didn't have to walk to the bank. Sure. So it's little things that we can do on our end to help educate and sure. hopefully well, help them grow. C- kind of to your point, right? You talked about how a lot of people only care about the here and now and of themselves, right? And I think we all kind of agree that there's an impending restaurant correction, let's call it. Um, or, or just a adjustment. Yes. Adjustment to the system. That's We're, we're at the early stages of it Correct. now and have been. I don't think we're at no, we're not. I don't at, think yeah. we're in the eye of the storm yet. We're gonna, <laughs> but I think to that point, um, it's unfortunate, and we've done a lot of trying to educate, and we have incredible customers, and we have many people who just don't care because it's not right in front of them. So this yeah. correction or whatever we call it that's going to happen will be the forcing function for many restaurant operators to take a deep breath and look at their operations and figure it out. I think also uh, an interesting thing is just because it's happening doesn't mean you have to do it. And we did a great episode, we did a great show um, with the owner and founder of Just Salad, which is a mini chain um, salad, fast, casual kind of thing. And they have a a mission control for their delivery, which is fascinating, like a little, you know, hub for delivery, um, which is off-site and takes all the calls and everything. It's kind of fascinating. And, you know, at the end of each show, I always ask guests for a piece of advice for listeners to use in the real world. And I asked him, so you're a restaurant owner, you know, something like that, you're a business owner, how do you set up your delivery? And interestingly, his first remark was, think about whether or not you really want to do it or you really need to do it. Is your business doing well? Do you not need to do it? Maybe you shouldn't be doing delivery. 100%. So there are certainly, in in this era where it's very challenging economically and for staff and for customers and everything is a challenge, you know, if you're not going to be able to do it well and execute it well and make it be financially viable, maybe you don't do delivery. Yeah. You know, we mm-hmm. have the social media question all the time on this show. Restaurants and business owners don't know how to do social media marketing. Should I be on Snapchat? Should I be on Twitter? What about LinkedIn? Don't be on LinkedIn. Well, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it depends on it depends on what your business model is. I, I see a lot but, of chef friends you know, posting food pictures on LinkedIn. It's really no, but if yeah. you're if you're doing corporate catering, LinkedIn sure. would be the place yeah, to be. So, I mean, I think it depends. But the point of that conversation, even just in this small, spontaneous uh, commentary, is that pick the thing that's going to work for you, mm-hmm. or just do one thing. Don't do it all. Right. You know, and do it well. And do it well. So. There's too many choices and too many things happening in many instances. And I think one of the most um, empowering things that we could say to people is be smart, do your homework, and it's okay to say no. Yeah. It's okay to say I'm 100%. not going to be on that social platform. I'm going to do 
uh, Uber delivery because they have the drivers in the cars. I'm not going to do seamless because I don't have drivers in cars. Yeah, it helps or, you reduce cost and, and exactly, just analyzing that. Exactly. You can say no. You don't have to be on delivery. You can run your own delivery service. You can do you know all these different things. So and In a look towards the future, I think that novelty is something we've all become very accustomed to. Like I can get Thai food, Indian food, 30 different entrees, whatever, from my phone. And I think that there definitely will be a, a moment where restaurateurs take a step back and say, I don't need to Too offer much. so many things. Mm-hmm. I've got to pull back so that I can focus on 10 great items instead of 40 decent items. Yeah, so, people get I, overwhelmed with the you know cheesecake choice. with the cheesecake factory type of menu. Totally. <laughs> well, and I think a lot of restaurateurs feel pressured to have to offer all these different things, and at a certain point, you've got to see where your diminishing returns are, because sure, maybe you add a a, a flatfish to your menu because you say everybody's asking for halibut or whatever. Avocado toast. Avocado mm. toast. Well, you don't have to. Just be really good at what you do and and believe in yourself. Because Lord knows you're not in this business to necessarily be a millionaire. So, you know, stick by your convictions and, and do what you do well. So that's a good, that's a great thing. So just really quickly, because we're actually out of time. This happens every show. We run out of time. <laughs> David, we need more time in 2018. Around the room, um, one last thought about what you thought about 2017. What was the big takeaway for you and what you are looking forward to in 2018? What do you, a quick... Um, this is a, an old school business with a lot of great people and it's a very people driven environment and um, I think that it's just going to be a slow slow build to this maybe uh, eu- euphoria or this uh, this you know utopia of restaurant world so um, I think for the, what I'm looking forward to is um, is maybe people sharing more in their experiences of how to run a successful restaurant so that others who are having challenges can learn from that. Okay, a little more sharing, a little more caring? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, So I think it's very apparent now that no matter what subject, but especially in restaurants, everyone has a voice and everyone can be heard. And that, um, you know, gone are the days of people reading sort of the New York Times food review section as gospel. Um, And I think that... It's, there's almost too much, it's sort of become a cacophony now and people are going to start searching for more, um, sort of more experts or more reliable sources, um, looking for more sort of recommendations from their friends versus from necessarily like the public review sites, which I think is really interesting. Um, Anthony Bourdain had a great rant against some of the public review sites, which I would he, he always has a great rant about pretty much <laughs> pretty everything. much everything. Yeah. Um, so I think so I think that people are going to start sort of looking for more sort of friendly advice next year, um, and I think that restaurants would would do well to try to capitalize on that and focus on sort of their local um, their local areas and and reaching out to people in their neighborhoods, pe- reaching out to sort of their loyal customers, and making sure that um, the people that already love their restaurants are sort of getting the word out and and spreading the word to people who might become additional loyal customers. So you're talking, the two of you are interestingly enough talking about two sides of the same coin. Xavier is talking about restaurant community kind of coming together and sharing information and, and helping each other move forward. And Bradley is talking about the public coming together and sharing information and sort of moving forward with collective information that way. Great. So we're going to go to Deep Tea, who's going to be 
our tiebreaker or wild card? Which, what, oh what are your feelings? Lots of pressure. Yeah. Lots of pressure. Um, I mean, this year has been great for us. I mean, what we've what we've been trying to spend a lot of time on is education um, and educating our users on both sides of what's going on in the industry. Um, again, like I had mentioned earlier, educating our companies that are coming to us saying that they want X, Y, and Z for their holiday party or for their, you know, weekly team meals, we're trying to educate them on the costs and what and how it affects a restaurant owner or food vendor. Um, and so for us, that has been most important is helping them understand the other side of the, the situation. You know, one of the things that we pride ourselves on is the stories that we tell, um, the stories of the vendors we tell, the people behind their food. So it's not just avocado toast that's showing up, but who made this avocado toast? And so the stories are really important for us. And on the vendor side, um, we're trying to educate them more about how do they use current data that they have um, and personalize things a little bit more in-house and out, right? So getting them to be a little bit more educated about how they can use um, their own data and and be smarter about marketing themselves and be smarter and not just relying on us, right? We're just a channel to market you and to get you more customer base and help your bottom line. But do it yourself, right? Don't just rely on third-party services. What can you do for yourself to help yourself? And so I think that um, in the restaurant industry, they collect a lot of data. There's a lot of tools and you know companies that are coming lots up. Lots and lots of data. Lots of data. And a lot of the times they don't realize how much they can do with it. And so making, you know, and like you said earlier, just it's if it's not in their face and it's not really easy, they don't want to do it. And a lot of times it's because they have so many things that are happening. Um, but finding few ways that us as a company and, and other companies, um, so again, a little bit more of that sharing, but how can we teach them to use the data and be smarter about the choices that they're making and, and, and set themselves apart as a brand um, to, you know, drive more foot traffic in because online ordering has, is going up and is taking over, but how can they kind of get more people walking into their restaurants and, and service them better in, you know, different ways. So I think uh, just data would be, um, education and data would be my thing for, for this past year and, and hopefully 2018 as well. If you are a business that takes credit cards for transactions, you have a huge amount of data about your customers at your fingertips, huge amount of data. That was the penultimate show for 2017, and interestingly enough, we have three points of view, and everyone basically talked about being better informed and making better choices, whether that's with your friends about where you're going to go eat tonight or whether you're a business owner deciding how you're going to do delivery, how you're going to run your back of the house. If you want to stay informed about food culture, the world, food tech, restaurants, Heritage Radio Network is a great place to do that. If you want to be informed, listen in to one of our 35 live shows every week. If you can't listen live, you can listen to them on demand. You can listen to them on iTunes and Stitcher Radio, including this one. You can subscribe and leave a great review. But... We can only make radio with your help because here's a little piece of information for you. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. That means we're like public radio and public TV. If you join and become a member, sometimes we have tote bags, sometimes we have koozies, sometimes we have t-shirts, but we always have a need for money to help keep the lights on and the mics hot. So in, <laughs> there he is. So at this time of year, it's the giving season. You know, you're going to a holiday party. Maybe send us whatever you spent on that ugly sweater or on coffee or on a round of drinks. Every little bit helps. It will help us make more radio. 
like this show, Tech Bites, every Thursday morning at 11 a.m. I'm Jennifer Leitzi. I host it and produce it. David Tatashore is my engineer. That amazing techno song that we hear at the beginning and end of each show is called Nomad a CPU Track from the delightful DJ Uptown Nico. If you want to get in touch with us, follow us at Tech Bites HRN on social media or send us an email, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. Almost the end of 2017. Come back and see us next week for a look at 2018. I'm Jennifer Leutzi. This is Tech Bites. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.